0: Well, as a young person growing up in Southern California, one of my valued possessions was a pair of swim fins. Now, if you're not familiar with how this works, um, swim fins are used to catch waves. If you're body surfing or bodyboarding, you really need these. Um, So since our family went a lot to the beach to ride waves, I used my swim fins a lot. During my freshman year, an upperclassman came up to me and asked me if he could borrow my swim fins. The school was having a beach outing, and since I wasn't going to be going to that beach outing, he, he came up to me. We were acquaintances. We weren't really friends. I mean, we you know, didn't really know each other super well, um, but he knew that I wasn't going, and so he said, hey, can I borrow your swim fins? And so I, I let him. I said, yeah, sure. You can, you can use them. Um, the next time I saw him, after the beach trip, I expected him to give me back my fins. Instead, he came up to me and he said, oh man, you know what? I was in the water and I was coming out and I had your fins and I tossed them to a friend of mine who wanted to use them and instead of catching the fins, they landed in the water and the current was strong and it swept them out. We couldn't find them anymore. They're gone. So, I was obviously pretty disappointed, um, but he kindly offered to buy me a new pair or pay me for them. So I felt like everything was good between us. We we're, were fine. You know, I figured he would get on it right away, and he'd go to the store and get the exact kind of fins that, that I'd let him use that were mine and, and buy me those. Or, or maybe he would just come and give me some money. He would do something about it right away. But after a few days passed, and he hadn't come up to me and done or said any of those things, I asked him, so what's, what's happening with my fins? And I got the impression that returning my fins to me was not as important to him as it was to me. Uh, A few weeks later, I asked him again, and still he hadn't replaced them. Kind of got the same impression. For the better part of a school quarter, (laughs) this went on. And during this time, I noticed that something shifted inside of me in relationship to this guy. Although we were just acquaintances, prior to loaning him these fins, I would have wanted to be friends with him. Like, I looked up to him. I thought he was a really cool guy, and he's popular, and and I, I would have welcomed the opportunity to become closer to him. But because he had not returned something to me that was mine, there was a a break, there was a wedge that was in our relationship, the potential for becoming friends. And had he asked me during this time for something else of mine, to borrow something else, I would have told him, no way. Why? Because it wasn't safe. I couldn't trust him to take good care of what was mine and and give it back to me. And it wasn't safe also for our potential friendship. If I gave him something else, then there might be another wedge that would be placed between he and I. If you've loaned something to someone else that didn't give it back to you, you probably know what that's like. Eventually, he ended up paying me for my fins, and that was great. But as I look back on this experience... I wish I'd never given him my fins. I wish I'd never loaned this possession of mine that I valued. I wish I never would have let him have that. Why? Because it did more harm than good. Though God has limitless resources, he also knows that blessing us can cause more harm than good. When we hold on to that which belongs to him, When we hold on to what is rightfully his, instead of drawing us closer to him, his blessing can actually be a wedge between us and him. Well, the Bible tells us, as you may know, that God longs to bless us. This is what he wants to do. He wants to bless us in God kinds of ways, big ways, lavish ways. This is what he wants to do. God is love, and love acts in this way. It gives. It gives blessing. He he is motivated by his character to bless us and lavishly give us good things. But love also requires God to restrain himself if giving those big blessings would do more harm than good, if those would compromise our relationship with him. So this morning, I'd like to take a look at a spiritual practice that can ensure that our relationship will not be harmed by his blessing, but will rather grow and develop when he blesses us. The title of the message is Safe to Bless, and before we open God's Word and look at the teaching that is there for us, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, may we have a heart to receive what you want to give. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. I'm going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The message of Malachi prepares people to receive God's greatest blessing. That's what the message of Malachi is about. Malachi was a prophet living in Israel. In the time just after God's people returned from captivity in Babylon, the Persian Empire overtook Babylon, and King Cyrus issued a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, allowing God's people to return to Israel and to rebuild the temple and resume worship in the temple as God had directed. Malachi was a prophet living during that time after the temple was rebuilt like a brightly lit road sign, points people to their destination, points travelers to a destination. The temple services that were restored pointed worshipers to Jesus. Although Malachi lived about 500 years um, before Jesus came to this earth, his message was given to prepare people to not miss the point, to see Jesus, to welcome Jesus when he came. Unfortunately, God's people were in danger of missing the point. Instead of returning to God as they worshipped him, instead of worshipping him with all their heart, the people of God in Malachi's day were holding something back, holding back a portion of what belonged to God rightfully. And in so doing, they were placing a wedge between themselves and God. They were actually turning away from God. In chapter 1 of Malachi, God rebukes worshipers because they were bringing animals that were blind or lame or sick as a sacrifice to God and to help them realize what they were actually doing here. They were trying to make worship convenient. Like they were checking the box, yeah, we're bringing the sacrifice that God offers, but they were really bringing animals that they were trying to cull out of their flock. And so to help them realize what was going on, what this was doing to their relationship with God, God says to them, why don't you try bringing those kinds of animals to your governor and see how he likes it? Would he be happy with you? He actually asked that question in chapter 1. And obviously the answer is, of course he would not, because they would be withholding a proper sacrifice due their governor. And by withholding what belonged to God, they were compromising their relationship with him. So in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, God tells us, he tells them, and he's also talking to us how to return to him when there's this wedge that's placed between us and him. Look at what it says, starting with verse 7 of Malachi chapter 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, this is not a new problem, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe. Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. When there's a breakdown in our relationship with God, I'm so grateful that He doesn't just leave it up to us to figure that out and try to figure out a solution to it. Instead, God identifies the problem here, but he doesn't just identify the problem. He also tells us how to return to him. In verse 10, God tells us what to do. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Just like their animal sacrifices— the problem was not a failure to give. They were bringing animal sacrifices, but they were not bringing a complete sacrifice. Their sacrifices were blemished. They were withholding what was rightfully God's. And in a similar way, God says, don't just give partially, bring the whole tithe. In verse 8, God tells people what they were withholding. He says, You're withholding tithes and offerings. Now, just to explain a little bit here tithe refers to 10% of increase, 10% of income. And so God says, that belongs to me. Return 10% of what your increase is. But not just tithe, he also says offerings, which is an additional, unspecified percentage, whatever God places upon our hearts, how he leads us to give, to bless his ministry. The 10% goes to help ministers. The giving of offering goes to help ministry. So in verse 10, when God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he was referring to this practice of bringing gifts to the temple. This is how they did it. And in the temple, there were these storerooms located there. And they would take the gifts that were brought, and they would put them in the storerooms so that the priests could have food to be able to eat. And so they had the resources necessary to be able to conduct the ministry to connect people to God, to direct people to a relationship with him. That's what what was happening here. And the implication in verse 10 is that God chooses, this is really amazing, God chooses to partner with fallible human beings, not only in the giving of the resources needed, but also in the administration of those resources. He chooses to partner with people so that his ministry and his work can go forward here on earth. That means if you and I are not willing to give the money he has entrusted to support his cause here on earth, then it's going to suffer. God has limited himself to our willingness. Now, I realize that some might say as they listen to this, well, hang on a second. Why does God ask for our tithe and our offering in the first place? Why would he do that? Does he need our money? I mean, after all, if he needed something, couldn't he just create more? He created all in the beginning anyway. What does it matter even if I am robbing God? How does that even affect God? How does that affect a being that that is infinite in resources? Although I would argue that God is going to be just fine without your offering and without your tithe. He's going to be okay. How is it ever a good idea to rob God? Like, when, when is that ever a good thing? It's not like we're going to get away with it without him knowing. <laughs> he knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows if we're robbing him. Okay, so, so that's, that's one reason. But secondly, it's not a good idea for us to rob God. It's not good for us. How can you experience a trusting relationship with God where you are dependent upon him for his forgiveness. You're dependent upon him for salvation, for wisdom, for strength to do what is right. How can you do that when at the same time you're stealing from him? How do you do that? If we withhold tithes and offerings, we are basically saying to God, I don't trust you. That's what we're saying. And essentially, well, let me just expand on that a little bit. We're saying, God, I don't trust you to provide for my needs. I don't trust you that your commands are good for me. I don't trust you that that you have my best interests at heart. And when we say that, we are also essentially placing ourselves in the position of God himself. And we're saying that we know better what to do with God's money than he does himself. As you may know, Uh, Warren Buffett, that's this man up here, is famous for being one of the best investors alive today. Over the years, he has demonstrated exceptional ability in making money. He's really, really good at it. And today, he's one of the wealthiest people in the world. His current net worth, I understand, is around $98 billion. So he's done okay. Now, suppose for a moment... That Warren Buffett, somehow, just just go with me, Warren Buffett calls you up and he says, you know, I'd love to hang out with you for a few, you know, few hours. I'd love to look over your financial circumstances, and I would personally love to give you advice on how you can grow your wealth. Just, Just suppose for a moment. Now, I'm not really sure what he would say to you, or what he would say to me, but I'm pretty sure that we would welcome his advice. In fact, I it's not a stretch to imagine that you or I would be taking notes, perhaps we'd even videotape the whole thing so that we could go back and review it, that we could carefully hang on every word that this genius of an investor would have to say to us about our financial circumstances. We would take it really seriously, and we would probably be enthusiastic about his suggestions right? Compared to God, Warren Buffett is poor as a church mouse. God created wealth, and yet when God tells us what to do with our money, there's a tendency for people, and I'm included in that, there's a tendency to resist his commands as if somehow we knew better. Thankfully, if you are in that group that has resisted like I am, resisted giving tithe, resisted giving offering in the past, then when I've gotten my paycheck, I'm like, ah, oh, okay. It hasn't been something that I've been enthusiastic about. If you've been in that in that group of resistance, God understands our struggle. And he shows us mercy. He shows us grace. And he comes to us. He knows that we struggle. He knows that returning tithes and offerings can be difficult for us, and so in verse 10, he tells us this. Why don't you just try it? Test me. This is the God of the universe, and he's putting himself on trial before fallible human beings that don't know what to do with our money. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there are times when returning tithe and offering may feel to us to be something that is presumptuous. It's one thing to give when we feel like this is just some extra money that we have and we're going to be totally fine living on everything else. It's one thing to give when we don't feel like our resources are, are going to be limited. We're going to be able to pay our bills, no problem. We're going to be, be able to do some fun things with what we have left over if we turn, return tithes and offerings. That's one thing to give in that circumstance. It's quite another thing to give when we do not know how we're going to pay our bills. It's quite another thing to return tithes and offerings first before you do anything else. It's a different situation when we return tithes and offerings and we look at our nest egg and it really is quite tiny. And we don't know how we're going to have enough money to retire. That's a different circumstance. And so it can feel presumptuous to return tithes and offerings if we're not even able to cover our own expenses and take care of ourselves. So how can we know if our giving of tithes and offerings is based on presumption or if it's based on faith. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus to tempt him when he's in the wilderness. Perhaps you know the story. He's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's in this weakened condition. And Satan comes to him with these temptations. And one of the temptations is when Satan takes Jesus to the high point in the temple. And Jesus and Satan both knew as, as Jesus and Satan are standing on the high point of the temple, both of them knew that Jesus would struggle to get people to believe that he was the Messiah. They both knew that that people would have a hard time believing that Jesus was the Messiah. They They would struggle to accept this. And so Satan offers Jesus an easy way to instantly convince his people, Jewish people, that he was in fact the Messiah. Standing about 180 feet, which is what the high point in the temple would have been, about 180 feet above the worshipers below, Satan says to Jesus, why don't you throw yourself down? Don't worry about it. God's angels will take care of you. It's written about that somewhere in the Bible. And the implication was, is that if Jesus threw himself down, then everyone would believe that he is the Messiah. Mission accomplished. Although it may have seemed like Satan was trying to encourage Jesus to exercise radical faith. Throw yourself down. This is going to be great trust God. It might have seemed that way. The reality was, is that to jump would have been the sin of presumption. Here's why. God had not commanded it. God didn't tell him to do that. It would have been a sin, the sin of presumption. And seeing the temptation, Jesus realized what what he needed to say. He said to Satan, you shall not test, or you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, it's different. God is the one saying, test me. These are God's words. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. So whenever we return 10% of our tithe, And whenever we prayerfully give offerings as God leads us, we say, God, please lead us, he impresses us to give for the work of ministry. Whenever we do this, this is not presumption because God has flat out commanded it. It is is an expression of faith. Anything else would not be faith. Faith is to simply comply with what God has told us to do. We say, okay, God, you said, said it. Whether it makes sense to us or not, whether we can explain it or not, Faith is to act upon it and to do it. There have been times when I returned tithe and offering not knowing how I was going to pay my bills. I've experienced that. And somehow, here I am today, well-fed, well-cared for. God God has looked out for me. I remember one time I actually received a check in the mail from a bank bank account that I thought I closed, And it came at just the right time, over $700. They're in my mailbox. They said, here, you forgot about this. That actually happened. But most of the time, God takes care of me in more subtle ways. Frankly, I don't even know how he does it, but when I return tithes and offerings, somehow he is able to do more with what I have left over than what I could do if I held on to his portion. Somehow he does it. God invites us to test him because in return, it's not about money, it's when we return tithes and offerings, it turns our heart toward him. The whole book of Malachi, it's about returning to God, being ready to receive the greatest blessing of Jesus when he comes. When we return tithes and offerings, it turns our hearts to him. It's about, as I mentioned, it's, Sometimes we make this about money. We say, oh, you better give money, and and if you do, you're gonna be blessed, and so give money and it's money. It's the point is not about money. It's about building a relationship with God. It's about removing the wedge that can separate us from God when we hold on to what is rightfully his. It's about building trust in his word. When we give, it inspires a connection with God, and the result is God and his work then become more and more important to us, and receiving his blessing becomes less and less important. And when this happens, when God is more important than his blessing to us, then we're safe to bless. Malachi 3 verse 10 makes this connection. He says, test me in this. In other words, turn your heart to me by giving tithes and offerings. And when you do this, this is what's going to happen. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to store it. Here Malachi uses language that reminds us of the flood of Genesis, the floodgates of heaven. Perhaps you're familiar with that story. You know what happened when the floodgates of heaven opened in Genesis. There was a deluge. There was more rain and more water than anyone knew what to do with. God wants to bless us in flood proportions. He wants to give us more than we have room to receive. Now, if God needed our money, why would he bless us like this? Notice what it says. We are asked to give an amount to go into his storehouse, and the assumption is that everyone's giving is going to fit in that storehouse. And God says that when we give and it goes into his storehouse, then he is going to pour out so much blessing. He's going to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that we cannot receive it. He's giving us way more than we are even giving in the first place. So if God needed our money, why would he give that much? It doesn't make any sense. God is not asking for our money for himself. He's asking us to give tithe and offering for us. God longs to bless us, but he has to restrain himself if his flood of blessing would harm us. If our reason to obey God is to get his blessing, then the moment his blessing comes to us, what are we going to do? Are we going to continue to look to him? if our reason for giving tithes and offerings is so we can get something from Him, once we get it, chances are we're not going to see our need of Him anymore, and we will be in the greatest danger ever. We'll be in danger of missing out in the greatest blessing, and that is knowing God personally. Giving wholeheartedly to God turns our whole heart to God. And when our hearts are turned to Him, we're safe to bless Today, I want to just invite you to see this command in Malachi 3, verse 10, to return the whole tithe. I want to invite you to see this command as relational. It's not about the money. It's about a relationship with God. It's about turning to Him. It's about coming close to Him, so that when He pours out his flood of blessings. We won't be blinded by it. We won't be separated from him by it. We won't become spoiled, rotten. We'll become closer to him, more endeared to the giver of those good blessings. See them as relational. And give, not to get some monetary blessing, but so that your heart can be turned to God, can be softened to God. Give simply because God says so, and test him. On your pews, you may have noticed this, you'll see something that looks like this. It's a little brochure that our church puts out that explains about tithes and offerings. So you can be informed as to when you give to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Where's your tithe going? It gives all the percentages there. What's, what's happening? Where is it, how is it supporting ministers? And when we give offerings, what are we giving to? I want to encourage you to really research where God is working and how you can support His work in the way that He intends. And I encourage you just to ask God to impress you how to give. Let Him lead you in this. We need the blessing of God. We need His blessing. And when we turn our hearts towards God in giving tithes and offerings, it's at that moment that we're safe to bless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us to partner with you so that we can grow closer to you, so that we can experience the blessing that you long to give us. God, please forgive me. Please forgive my church family. Forgive us for our resistance. Forgive us for those times when we haven't given Forgive us for those times when we have given, but we've done it with resentment. Lord, may we see this as an invitation to know you intimately and deeply, to trust you. I pray, God, that we would be open to how you would have us give, knowing that you know what is best for us. In Jesus' name, amen.